remains undetermined. We're still cutting this song short. It's the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast. Welcome to the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast. I am John, back with my usual co-host, Andy. Um, Andy, you were missed, and I'm so glad that you're back for this very important episode. Oh, man, am I glad to be back for this Great one. timing, as always. Um, we're talking Survivor 42 episode, let's call it eight. That sounds in the ballpark. Sure. Um, let's round that. And we, first of all, how'd you like this episode, Andy? <laughs> There's a place to start. Uh, you know. All right, so this is like it's certainly not a bad episode. I think there's a lot of interesting things, uh, you know, dynamics of humans and all that. Um, Was I excited to talk about it today? No, no, not at all. And uh, probably a big part of that is that um, I think the main one of the main takeaways, not the main takeaway, I should say, and I'll get to that as well. uh, But that you know, uh, people like us, like specifically you and I. Uh, in these conversations, our perspective is not as important. So now I'm going to fill like an hour with that. Just just all this unimportant perspective that I have to bring to this episode of Survivor. How about yourself? Yeah, you remember when you were like, man, I wish, you know, the episodes would at least give us something to talk about. Well, hey, monkey, monkey paw, paw curled. <laughs> That's right. It's like, got you. Don't worry. So, yeah, we should just jump right in because obviously the thing we're discussing is that second tribal council, um, the one where everybody walks in, sees that Roxroy has just been voted out, and the reactions are immediate. So I was figuring probably be best to just jump around and discuss each of those five people were, that were there, just to kind of get like what you thought about how each of them handled everything that went down in that tribal council. Yeah, I mean, the most interesting, of course, is Drea. Uh, By far. Hers was the per- immediate reaction. And hers is the you know perspective that was uh, probably that we should be spending most of our time talking about. I'm not sure that's what we on this podcast are going to, but I hope to give it uh, proper attention. I am concerned a little bit that, like, we've, you know, the conversation about uh, the episode is kind of doing the, the thing that we, you know, by we, I mean, Survivor fans typically do. We were focusing on the part where you complain about rather than celebrating the part that I think was really interesting. And when it began and you see Drea just like just shook at Roxroy, yeah, and we're anticipating that a vote is going to come against her. So it's like, oh, yeah, she's going to play her idol, uh, which honestly I felt as soon as uh, they started turning uh, the vote towards Roxroy. It's like, OK, well, the other plan isn't going to work. But yeah, I think, you know, my perspective that I'm watching is like she's trying to calculate what happened to her ally, what happened – with her other allies. And then, of course, as it progresses, we find out that it runs a lot deeper than that. What was your reaction? I thought it was interesting because we've talked about how Drea is that person that just delivers these cold, rational, like, post-game interview takes and confessionals, right? But in that moment, it's like she shifted into Marianne mode. Like, you could read everything on her face. Like, she's clearly processing all of this and going through all these possibilities and like real world experiences and then questioning different things all in real time. And you can see that on her face and clearly you could, because at a certain point Jeff's like, so, um, Hey, maybe we should talk about the fact that you keep making faces over there. What's going on. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it, she like pretty clearly laid out what was going through her head and it was nice that we got to see that conversation on TV again. Yeah. Um, so we've had fun with the way that Drea uh, speaks, uh, not just confessionals, but in general. Um, I actually think what she said tonight might have uh, revealed a bit why. You know, it could be that yeah, she's just a you know a cutthroat gamer, but we see her talking about like a big frustration in her life in so many situations, and here she is on TV, is that she has to measure what she's saying. You know, she has to be careful because of. You know, the world that she lives in, the perceptions that she deals with every day. And maybe that's why she's been so measured throughout. So I don't know. And it's, it's actually a great um, contrast or juxtaposition, I guess, really, with uh, Jonathan, who has been talking about the same sorts of things. But that'll come up later. But for now, we'll, we'll focus on Drea. Um, so as I said, she has this big alliance, right? With It's massive. Basically, everybody that's not like Tori and Romeo is in this alliance, right? And so the other group has Romeo as the odd person out, and he'd received votes last time. So presumably everyone walking into that tribal council is expecting that they're going to see Romeo sitting on that bench. And so, you know, I can get in Drea's head why suddenly, like, you're going through all these possibilities of like, man, I know Romeo didn't have an idol, like, hmm, why are they turning on rocks? And then specifically, why was it him? It's because to her mind, that man has never strategized in his life. The one time that he ever did that we saw was with all the other men, which she would know about. So she's probably like, man, that's really peculiar that they pick him who is basically not even playing this game. So, yeah, I, I get the confusion that must have been happening and taking place in her head there. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't, it's totally possible that it started game based that's where they are. But this is again, where my uh, inadequate uh, perspective is maybe it's, that's never the first thing, right? Well, so that's what I'm saying though. Is like, because it didn't make sense, then you start jumping mm -hmm. to like, what could the justification be? And then, yeah, I think it's totally reasonable to wonder, like, hmm, was it an identity-related issue? Like, is wait, is that part of it? And I think that that happens all the time, right? Where, like, there's this gray area, and you have to question, like, is that what's happening or is it not? Because it's very rare that you get things spelled out plainly, right? Like, uh -huh. uh, that's just how society works. People tend to be... Um, more into hiding their motivations if they have racist motivations. Well, then the thing about it is, and we'll get deeper as we go here, it's not always as cut and dry as that. It's not like, oh, well, I got to you know, hide my racist motivations. This is why the conversation can be so hard to have. It's that you don't even know. Right. That people don't even know what their uh, motivations are. They're just like, oh, there's something about that person, you know. Uh, it's, it's yeah, that, you know, certainly sometimes it completely is, you know, hiding it and, you know, saying the quiet parts, not loud. Um, and you know, that's where you get to the microaggressions of saying the word aggressive. Um, but some of it is just completely unconscious bias. It's not 
that you're racist because it's not binaries in these scenarios. It's that you just are drawn a bit more to one or the other and you've never thought about it. Um, you just don't question why. And and that's <laughs> the nature of the implicit bias, which she like called out by name and brought up. And then of course the reaction is, well, I'm not racist. Like, yeah, you know, but anyway, <laughs> our reaction was that yeah. later for now we'll continue focusing on Drea. Yeah, and what I liked is that she's able to, I mean, this is a tough moment. She's clearly processing some level of trauma. Uh, both, yeah, there's also the game going down. Um, but you know, she's able to speak to it. But she still feels like the Drea we've met. You know, this is obviously far more than she's opened up throughout and probably more than she wanted to open yeah. up. But it uh, isn't suddenly that, you know, She's she's still measured and thoughtful within her response, um, which is good. That means that you know she's still able to hold on to you know parts of herself while speaking to something that is important to her. So I mean, mostly I just want to remind everyone, uh, and I think most people have done a good job about this. But you know, before we get into who, who bothered us the most in this discussion, we need to make sure that we're giving credit to the people who um, led the discussion. Absolutely. And let's give credit to the other side of this, which was Marianne, which for me was unexpected because I, I said last week that she always strikes me as younger than she is. And it's, I think I even used the word immature, which I just happened because I couldn't think of a better descriptor, but she was anything but that here, right? Like she's always this, jovial upbeat like optimistic person and like it comes off as her being younger than the 24 that she is because i think my cynical expectation is that by 24 the world has beat you down enough that you can't be that positive all the time you can't be smiling marianne on 11 all the time like how is that still possible um one note I'll add to that is that she is Canadian. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. That shit happens here all the time. And also, I believe Drea lives in Canada as well. So It's true. Um, see, it's lousy with Canadians. Um, I think Omar's one too, isn't he? Correct. Oh A lot of people in the All trailer. over the place. Um, anyway, so, yeah, Marianne also just shifts from that, like, happy-go-lucky person the, who's normally much more about like making the jokes and bonding and, you know, easy small talk type stuff. And then she's like, nah, I'm going to switch to like serious mode Marianne there. And it's like, you could see the maturity, like flip on, like, Nope, I need to use it right now. So I'm going to do it. And I was impressed. Like it, it didn't strike me that Marianne was that type of person and she has it in her. See, actually, my opinion on Marianne has already been turned around both earlier in this episode and last week, which I did not have the opportunity to speak about. Um, I think the energy has dialed down necessarily as, you know, the calorie count has dialed down as well. And when she speaks of the game, I've had no objection to anything she said, you know, even in her interaction with Jonathan when he's telling her uh, that you know, she's going to be the decoy vote for somebody who has an idol. We'll get to that. Um She's able to speak to us and deal with him in ways that shows, like, I, she understands this game. Um, 
You know, the thing I've always worried about is like when she's like, I came here to show everybody how weird I am. I'm like, that's not what this game is. But <laughs> I think she does deeply understand what the game is. And yeah, so when she speaks here tonight, I think, you know, not only is it's like, oh, like the jovial girl that's screaming all the time. And, and I used girl because, again, she does have that energy. Woman. Um, you know, when she's diving off the platform. Ah! But. Even she has to carry these experiences with her all the time, you know. Even the happiest people that you know uh, exist within a society that tries to, you know, put these boxes. And it's not clearly uh, something she's thought about before because when she plays her idol, she probably doesn't need to. At least not until Drea plays hers, right? Um, But in her mind, and this is really unfortunate... Uh, she thinks that she needs to do this to erase the idea in people's heads, the viewers, that um, they're just manipulating uh, a situation, an emotionally charged situation and that- you know, with dealing with race relations. And what sucks mostly about it is you're not convincing anybody that's going to think Absolutely. that. Absolutely. That was the most painful part is like she's explicitly thinking about the crowd watching this in that moment. And trying to appease a certain segment of this audience that is just never going to be appeased. Like, it doesn't matter what you do, Marianne. Nothing will be enough. And so it's just like, I I think that's where, to me, she comes across as younger. Because, like, there's that optimism. Like, well, no, if I just do the right thing, quote unquote, right thing in the eyes of this segment of the audience it'll be fine. Then they'll respect me. And like, no, that's not how it works. And like, it's so devastating. Um, but again, I, I get why she did it and the expectations that are on her. And she knows cause she's dealt with these people in her life just as, I mean, most of us probably have what in various contexts, um, I mean, yes and no. Obviously, I'm aware of it, but have I dealt with it? So that's what I'm saying is we're at least – I mean, I live in Florida, so I've certainly met these people. Um, But I'm saying I know who they are and how they will react to certain things. And so does she. And so she's trying to get ahead of that. And again, you just – you can't. It, It wouldn't matter no matter what she did. And I think the reactions to this episode in the shittier corners of the internet prove that, right? Like, it doesn't matter. You can say whatever it is that you want, and they're going to go back to that same well. It, you know, it doesn't matter how purely or pure your motivation was or whatever it might be. Like, it doesn't matter to them. I mean, I'm assuming, obviously, uh, I will never go to those corners, nor did you, uh, if you have not yet. Don't. You don't have to. It really uh, – don't go to the shit places and be surprised when you see shit. You know, it's just – you don't need that in your life. You can assume what was happening and if by some miracle uh, there's surprises, that news will reach you. You don't need to go looking for it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean like so the the beginning question that we do every episode, did you like this episode or was it good – hard to answer, but it it was incredibly interesting because that is like just the other layer. Um, for those that are like listening and I don't mean to this podcast, listening to that tribal council. And frankly, we're probably preaching to a bit of the choir, uh, here, 
But like, like think of all those layers. So Drea is thinking that like, even in this diverse season, the same patterns are emerging. Although I would add the patterns are a little different because in past seasons you couldn't have you know four black exactly. people voted out in a row because they wouldn't have had them. But you know, um, <laughs> but it is a recent trend um, anyway. Um, but yeah, so she's thinking of that. Like even here, even when I think I formed this alliance based on mutual strength, and I, I, I was ready to toss aside an alliance partner in Romeo. Is this what's happening? She doesn't know. And, you know, she admits she doesn't know, but she isn't going to let that happen. So she's dealing with that. And then Marianne is dealing with, if I don't do something, I have to deal with this. And not just, you know, herself, I'm assuming, as a you know, black woman. Um, again, I, this is the part where I can't speak for her. Um, but also she's, you know, heavy Christian and stuff. So she's got all these different pressures. And it's like... If I ever played Survivor, and I never will, both uh, my choice and the people who makes television's choice, I would never have to worry about a single one of those things. Nothing. None of it would even enter my mind. I would be completely free to do whatever I want. Um, and the only thing I'd have to be worried about is how stupid I'd look uh, once I got on TV due to my, you know, flop set and failure. But not because I have to represent anything, not because I have to, uh, you know, battle perceptions of what a person like me are. And that's what they're saying. And for those that are listening, I think, you know, you, this combined with what we got last season, is just like there's, there's just more on these contestants. And hopefully, as if Survivor continues to progress the way it has been in terms of minority casting, maybe some of that will be lessened. Because, you know, the fear is when you see that happening, it's like they're doing it again. But then you think about it and it's like, who's they? Right, because like not a single white person voted out Roxroy, for instance, right? Uh, because there weren't any on that side. Um, but of course, it's not always white black, right? Uh, yeah, we we often treat it like white and non-white, but there are layers and division and all that. But so they are feeling all of those things, and I empathize greatly while recognizing that I could never, I would never have to feel that way. Right. Like that's the being in the quote unquote default. Like it's just accepted that like whatever people who look like you or I do, yeah, that's fine. That's the default. You don't have to answer for anything because you are part of the, the majority. And thus there's so many others of you. You're, purely representing yourself and obviously not some greater social group. Yeah. Like the most I've ever had to deal with is people assuming I wasn't any good at basketball. Heartbreaking. It was tough that I constantly drew the weakest defender in pickup. What a tough one. I'm, I'm assuming like you had to deal with people thinking you'd be nice because you're Canadian. It- Gotta be done. Well, I quickly disabused people with that, <laughs> obviously. Like, I think if people were to listen to us and not hear the content, but no, one is Canadian and one is American. I suppose accents might give it away, but. All right. So let's move on to some other people who actually are, were also in that tribal council. Um, I Obviously, for me, the most Im- interesting to discuss of those three remaining players is Jonathan. Um probably a total coincidence that he saw it as his time to take over when there's him and four women. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I will say having the idol helped as well. Sure. Um, 
because I could see him in that scenario being scared as fuck. Sure. Um, For the same reasons that you're getting at. You know, Uh, his, his assumption that, you know, he is above these women, you know. In a numbers game, if he did not have the idol, I could see him operating differently. But I believe the base assumptions are the same. Exactly. There was a sort of underlying assumption when he's pitching his plan to people that they would, of course, agree with it because he is the big, strong guy and thus the leader. (laughs) And it was like, it was very entertaining to see Lindsay push back on him and him being like, oh, shit, wait. (laughs) Like... That was entertaining, but we'll get more into that discussion later because for now, we'll focus on the tribal council thing. Um, Here, let me uh, – you always have to ask me. I'm going to ask you. When he uh, pipes up and says what he says, what was your initial reaction? Um, oh, I've met this person yeah, thousands of times. For me, it was like, of course. Like, there was no shock. I wasn't even anger. Like, honestly, the shock would be the opposite. As soon as he said it, I was like, of fucking course. Like, it just feels typical. It's not surprising. To the degree that, like, I, you know, obviously I, I give him no credit. Uh, certainly a lot of demerits. But people are like, ah, he's the worst person ever. It's like, no, this is what we're saying. This is what we're talking about. Yeah. This is so fucking this common. Is, right. This is just totally banal. It's like, it's everywhere. I mean, I think you're lucky enough to not have it in your family members, but I certainly deal with it with mine. Um, and just the way he instantly shifts the conversation to make it about himself. Like, oh, you called me racist. That's super common technique. Like, it's the way to avoid an actual conversation by just suddenly claiming you've been attacked and instead turn into a thing where, like, you're demanding apology rather than actually, like, listening and, and engaging in the conversation, right? Like it's, it's a defensive strategy and a whole lot of times it works. Like it, it works on TV all the time. And then people mimic that behavior and try to use it in their real life. And it's fucking frustrating. Um, I think there's just this knee jerk reaction, right? Like, or actually, I guess better way to describe it is that in the minds of a lot of people like there's a schema of racists, right? Where the racists are the people that will like sick dogs on you and fire hoses. And they're just, they're terrible, awful people. And then there are these people who are like, well, I'm not that, you know, I just want to make it illegal for them to receive water while standing in line to vote. Like that's not racist. You know, it's this justification of like, well, that's the bad guy. And I am not that. So I'm not a bad guy. And thus, I'm not racist. And it never allows any room for introspection because you're just instantly going on the defensive. And again, this is so common. I feel like this is much more what you're likely to encounter anytime you have these um, conversations about race that you're supposed to be having, right? Like that every leader says you need to have after these terrible racial events they're like oh we need to come together and have earnest conversations about race and then when you actually try to do it in the real world this is what happens yeah i'm not really interested in the take of like whether jonathan is racist or not that's not interesting to me at all because it's a mistake to even discuss these things in binaries the reaction that whoa whoa, whoa racist that is the, the you know the thing that is again so typical yes. By, by me saying it's typical is not me forgiving it. 
But it's also like why these conversations are so hard to have and both because of our people, you know, uh, because white people are just so fucking afraid because for the most part, we get to opt out of these discussions, right? Race is a, oh, that's not a subject for, you know, polite discussion because it doesn't affect us, right? Um, And it's uncomfortable. It is. Even myself, um, you know, this white liberal that um, has all the language because, you know, I'm online and I can say it all that. Even then, like, there are times when, like, the discussion is uncomfortable because, like, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing, use the wrong term. I'm not that afraid because, for one, people aren't that, like, you know, the, if you say the wrong term, as long as it's not, like, really wrong, they'll be like, oh, no, and you correct them, like, oh, I'm sorry, and then you just try to use the right term. It's not that hard. But I, I, I felt that fear in my life. You know, I've gotten better at it all the time in part because, you know, I'm some asshole who's never afraid to talk about anything if a microphone's in front of me. But, yeah, it's, it's like, is he racist? Is he, that's not the point. You know, is he a good person? Is he a bad person? That's not the point. And I know that's where people, like, fixate on. And if that's the, what you do and that's the way you watch the show, I'm, I'm not going to tell you to watch it differently. Also, um... Getting back to what I said earlier of somebody who never has to really face this sort of thing, I'm really not going to tell you how to feel. Um, but my point has always been, like, could he be shitty? Yeah, they all could be shitty. Every single person on here could actually be a shitty person. We don't know. That's not important. But what he uh, says, that's why we can't have real conversations about this stuff because we're so afraid of the feelings of the oppressor that we can't like listen to what the oppressed is saying. And it's just like, thankfully we had the, you know, the opposite ha- happen, you know, Lindsay and even Tori are like, no, no, like just, just fucking listen, you know, and, and hear, and they were hearing, um, but too many conversations are shut down. And I'm glad that this one wasn't despite his reaction. And I mean, I think that was the thing that bothered me the most, right? Like, Stop trying to make it about you. Like, let her speak. We're really bad at that. Right? Like, like white people in general, we're not used to when the stories aren't about yeah. us. I know. We're always the main characters. Um, Says the guy, like, with a show that, like, is about him. You know? Sure. I mean, like, <laughs> um, But again, like, just let her speak. Like, how is that? Like, Matt and I were on Twitter saying the same shit. Like, how is just listening never an option that's considered? Just being quiet like you you could actually and this is true of every social media that you ever engage with you could actually just not have an opinion you could just do the equivalent of scrolling and reading sit there and listen <laughs> it's the same fucking thing just you can listen and not say shit um the i like not to hammer too hard on jonathan because again i'm with you in that like i'm not gonna make blanket judgment calls about the man's life or mindset but at the same time like and i want to make clear he could really suck and their people are building up the evidence it's just that i don't care and just like you shouldn't have believed when the show is making him out to be a super awesome guy it's still an edit of a tv show now right so it's just like you know that's immaterial to this discussion, whether he's a good or bad person. Well, These discussions about race transcend that because even us good people uh, have some things that we need to think about and work. Well, with. the interesting thing to me, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, right, is that, you know, we talked about how Drea is very measured in how she talks and she's giving these like, yeah. like completely dispassionate <laughs> confessionals, which I 
unironically love. Like I've very much embraced them and enjoyed them. But Jonathan throughout this season, he's given like multiple confessionals about like how he, he's going to get labeled aggressive because he's this big guy and like people will just, you know, they'll look at who he is and then like be very quick to like label him aggressive. Right. So he can't fucking imagine that Drea has this exact same scenario, right? Like, she mm-hmm. speaks with passion in her voice, and he's like, whoa, you're getting aggressive. Like, God damn it! this is the exact thing that you were so intent on avoiding, and then you're just going to push it on someone else. Like, a projection is a real-ass thing. Like, you couldn't put yourself in her shoes for one second. Like, she's doing the same thing you are for different reasons, but it's the same behavior and he can't see that at all. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because that uh, contrast uh, really stuck with me too. And almost to the point where were they doing that on purpose? I I think so. Maybe I, I, I often don't ascribe the superpowers to the survivor editors that other people do. I think sometimes things are coincidence, but uh, especially because of how far apart they were. There's also the question, like the motivation of um, what is the show trying to do with Jonathan? Who knows? Maybe what the show is trying to do with everybody is, you know, balance it as much as the story will allow. But yeah, no, like that is like that. that what she's saying is what you, big and strong guy, you know, have been dealing with in your life to a degree, but more, right? Um, who knows? Maybe at some point, you know, he could, I can't, like, I, honestly, I don't even care if he makes personal improvement or not. I don't care about him. Like, you know, if, if the question is like, how has your opinion changed about Jonathan as a result of this episode? It's like, my opinion about Jonathan was entirely challenge based and he still won one. Like, I never ascribed that, like, this guy who's super awesome at challenges is also a, like, a super awesome person because it's easy for me to separate the two, right? Uh, that, People who are talented at things aren't necessarily good people. And I think it's important that people make that separation. And this isn't like separate the art from the artist thing. That often lets people off the hook. But more that we need to be mature enough to recognize that like talent, intelligence, ability is not any way related to like morality. Um, and that because then you end up, you know, assigning morality to people who are good at things just because they're good exactly. at things. Exactly. Oh, yeah. um, I don't even know where or I was assigning, going. <laughs> it's or just assigning that. talents to people who are successful, which always happens yeah. as well. Anyway, so yeah, no, like I get why people like had the reaction to Jonathan and continue to react to Jonathan and maybe, you know, if people break down the time, maybe we spent more time talking about it. Like one thing is this is one where we do have some perspective. We can talk about the white people perspective and why we act this way um, because we see it. Uh, we just we're forever the story was about yeah. us and God forbid we ever just stop and listen to somebody else's. But on the other hand, we had Lindsay and Tori. So it's not like – that's the thing. That's the other thing. And this is what uh, – you know, the reactions like you get with Jonathan is um, it's so hard to hear that like, hey, man, white people have done a lot of problematic stuff, some of it before you were ever born, some of it you, yourself, or your community – and people are like, why are you say, putting that on me? I didn't do that. Just because, like, listen and just 
like have some understanding and that's kind of where it's at and it doesn't surprise me at all that somebody in Jonathan's life has never really had to uh, confront that about himself despite like you know his hair choices in life I mean there was also some information about Jonathan that came out on Twitter this week that was like supporting evidence we'll say to those who are looking for such things yeah, I mean, I've already said in the past, like, I don't care. I don't want to know who they are out of Survivor. I don't even pay attention to the preseason. It, it, is it a positive thing? Fuck no. Um, but that also wasn't necessarily a smoking gun. But I will say the circumstantial evidence is adding up. <laughs> but I also don't care, man. Like, he's just a guy who's strong and swims well. And he's not going to win, uh, both because he was never going to win. And two, um, like, the... What we didn't know about him, because it didn't come into play throughout the rest of the season, was like, is he any good at the other parts of Survivor? And I think we got enough evidence tonight that the answer is no, and people are aware of it. So, Oh, yeah. he like If he did have a shot at winning, he certainly shot himself in the foot in that tribal council. Ah, I'm not uh, in the space of my life to think that like a white person being defensive about racism is enough to cancel out a jury's opinion of them. Maybe this jury. Maybe. Uh, but, you know. We seem to get away with this sort of thing. I'm just saying that his, the way he interacted with people, regardless of it being around race, just the way that he dealt with people in this episode suggested to me, "Mm, don't know that it's going to go well. Because it, it seems like when he is under any kind of stress or any kind of pushback, he doesn't handle that very well, which doesn't speak to a strong social game. Yeah, no, those things absolutely, and that's why I'm saying, like, until now, it never, it wasn't a worry at all. You know, his tribe did, was doing well. Uh, you know, a, a, an alliance of strong people formed basically without him. So, like, I didn't have the evidence to judge what kind of survivor gamer he was, one way or another. He was playing on easy mode. Yeah, um, and he apparently cracks under pressure. Yeah, it, it was, and again, for me, I think it's more like what we saw with him dealing with Lindsay, the way we saw him dealing with Marianne. I'm not. I wish I could say, like, the tribal council stuff is disqualifying, but I can't. Well, let's quickly talk about Lindsay and Tori, then, because they are the remaining two in this tribe. And how do you think they handled this tribal council? I mean, yeah, full marks to Lindsay, no complaints. Both she said uh, things in support, but then, at least in the edited presentation that we received, uh, didn't say too much. Because that's another issue that sometimes happens. Uh, In uh, the positive... uh, um, thing of trying to show support. Uh, we white people are really good at making it about us. Uh, saying the guy in the podcast talking right now. Uh, it's just, it's like suddenly how like all issues that aren't about us are suddenly also really about us, and how we can like take over movements and stuff. She didn't do any of that. She spoke support. She showed understanding and listening, and then you know went back to not being yeah you know, saying too much on this. And show. there was not like interrupting or talking over it was just like i'm gonna hear you out if i'm asked a question or something sure i'll respond because you know jeff invites her into the conversation she responds to that and then says some nice things and then just sits back and listens which you know as far as getting yourself a lot of screen time for the rest of the season probably not the way to go but in this particular scenario exactly the way to go so yeah bravo to Lindsay for that 
Yeah. Uh, getting back to what you said earlier, the discussion with Matt, it's like, why can't people just not say anything? In general, that that is an opinion I have too. Uh, and one that I should say that I've like weaned myself of from social media because social media really operates the opposite way that you like, you have to have opinions, yes. you have to have takes. Um, and I especially would understand it from even like people younger than us. It's like, this is where we live. This is the way it's always been. And it's something you do need to learn. That's like, you, you really don't have to have a take. And sometimes people feel like, but if I don't say something, people won't assume support. But sometimes it's like, are you saying something to show support or are you saying something to be seen as showing support? However, uh, and this is not a Jonathan defense. This is just a general thing. Um, these are a group of people who for at least two weeks and then all the interviews leading up to it have been like living in a world where people only care about what they have to say. Um, the fact like people that they barely even get to converse with. So if like reality show contestants maybe don't do the best job of shutting up when they should, um, I'll give them a little bit of slack depending on what they say when they talk. All right. So what was your opinion on how, the host of the show handled this tribal council. Like we don't often talk about how Jeff performs in these tribal council scenarios. So how do you think he did running this discussion? Well, because these discussions keep coming up, Mm -hmm. he's been getting reps. I I thought he was fine. Uh, I think you, I think it was you had an issue with like him mentioning like outside of the game fact. Yeah. I mean, it bothers me that, I, I think I even referenced in the comments that he acts as though this is severance and like can't believe that people have memories of their lived experiences prior to Survivor. Like, yes, of course, there's not really a quote unquote outside of the game. Like you didn't suddenly lose all memory of your life prior to this. It, you're playing a game having previously lived your life. Like, so yeah, it's some of that quote unquote outside the game stuff comes in because it's real life and human interactions, which is also a part of this game. Like those, those two are not two distinct things. So that always annoys me. But I mean, again, like you said, he's had a lot of reps, so he's fine. I mean, he mostly does what he should do, which is ask some questions, get conversations started and then back the fuck up. What I found he's gotten better at is supporting those that are having the tough conversations. And, um, you know, I mean, he's still Jeff Probst, yep. guys. So, like, this is a sliding scale. But um, it either, yeah, and I'm prepared to accept this, they're very, very strong people. Or um, he's a, doing a better job in creating an environment in which they feel um, protected enough to say these things. And maybe at most like certainly probably a combination of factors. Uh, one thing I'll say in his defense on this particular, and, and I don't know the order or how it went. I'm not watching it again. Uh, not because I'm like terrified of it. I typically don't watch these things again. Um, when talking about outside factors, this one doesn't have like specific ones because Marianne brought that in that like she specifically was worried about the outside perception of what was going on there that, and and her actions were, you know, driven by that. I don't know if that's what he was responding to or if he was doing what he typically does is that what you're still, you know, a black person in America, even though you're in Fiji. Um, so yeah, no, I thought he was fine. Uh, the thing, uh, we, we can get into, and this kind of also relates to how, you know, Tori played it is, uh, what did you think about him just you know, trying to, 
abandon the, the traditional voting process. Um, I mean, it's certainly not the first time there is precedent for that, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yep. and I get it in the moment. It's got to feel really weird to be like, okay, well we just had a, um, you know, really important discussion, a lot of raw emotions right now, but anyway, let's switch right on back to playing monopoly. Like, no, that's, <laughs> it doesn't go that way. So I get the hesitance to Jim, be like, hey, let's just forget us ever happened and go back to doing what we would normally do in this scenario and vote. Um, it did lead to some weird potential wrinkles. Um, yeah. The public voting thing, it, it's, again, it's nothing new. It's been done before. But, you know, because of the dynamics of this season, made it pretty easy for Tori to know to play her shot in the dark, right? Because it's not Jeff reading votes. It's everybody saying, oh, I'm voting for Tori. And then Tori can say, oh, shit, you are? Okay, well, in that case, I'll play my shot in the dark and thus could have potentially kept herself safe because of that, which really would have mm-hmm. backfired on what was probably Jeff's intent there. Yeah, no, like I, th- I can forgive it because it was the human decision. Course, right? yeah. He was doing the right thing for the room, but because of the way that the show is hemmed themselves in with all of these weird mechanics and all of that, I don't, you can't do it like you did before. It broke a lot of things. And, you know, I think I, I fully believe it in that moment, those contestants were not really interested in the song and dance and the weird rituals of this show. But, Saying you're going to play an idol and then actually going through with it after people go cast secret votes are different things. The shot in the dark is a different thing. And, like, these people, while that was a really tough night and a human moment, they're all still competing in a game for a million dollars. And in some ways, like, the person in Tori's position kind of gets hosed in this scenario, right? Uh, I feel less bad about it, not because of my feelings about Tory, but because that's where the vote I feel was going to go if they actually cast a vote. And then I think – and I suspect she would have played the shot in the dark anyway. But it's just like you have all of these mechanics that rely on like that secret voting process that break it. Because yeah, like then – like Jonathan's like, so are they still going to turn in their idols? Because like that was his motivation exactly. the whole way. It, Frankly, maybe that's why he did the dunderheaded thing of making Marianne the target. Like, if he had said to us in confessional, I want her to be the backup because an idol is going to get gone tonight one way or the other, <laughs> then I w- almost would have respected it. I don't believe at all that that was his motivation. Um, but yeah, like, like so even him, the person I care least about at, at this moment as it's going, is like, but this was still about getting rid of idols. And if we just say it's Tory, like, where are those idols? So then it's like, okay, well, we said we're going to do it. And, like, in terms of, like, if you're going to do it this way, I think the outcome was probably the best one. Like, I think they would have played their idols. But you don't know that. There's gamesmanship and there's, you know, I, I, like, what if Lindsay goes home, it's because Tori said I'm playing the shot in the dark first. Right. Whereas if it's a normal scenario, and I guess this is where we sh- I should probably talk about how the shot in the dark works. Because there is a lot of confusion. It really hasn't been properly explained. I've gotten this from various details, both what the show has given us and exit interviews. So how it works, ridiculously, of course, is you're given a die that you do not roll whatsoever. Drop it in a container. It represents a one in six chance 
But that's not a one in six chance for everybody. It's a one in six chance at that tribal council. There are, there are traditionally pre-merge and I believe in this tribal as well. I don't have that confirmed, but it feeds into my belief based on the actions of Lindsay and the way that they treated it. Well, you know, Occam's razor could also be they fucked it up. But um, I believe that both of these split tribes probably only had the six scrolls as opposed to the 12. So there are six scrolls. Only one of them is safe. If three people decide to play the shot in the dark in a normal tribal council, they're not like replacing those things so that there'd be more than one person safe. There's one safe scroll. And the first person to pull it out has a one in six chance. And the next person, I guess, has a one in five, one in four. But not quite that because, of course, the first person that pulls it out has a – it actually pulls out then the safe. Those other two people had no chance. But they don't right. know. Right? Nobody knows until they show it to Jeff. But Lindsay does because of the way that they did this. And that's why people are like, Lindsay should have played her tro- shot in the dark too. But there's no point. There's only – I'm assuming because it would be weird that they suddenly give one in uh, – or two in 12, which is still like the same percentage odds as one in six. But it's two right. there is a second potential safe votes. Yeah. Uh, in a tribe of six. Um, or was it five? I don't know. Math. Um, but yeah, so for her, there's no value. All she'd be doing is giving up her shot in the dark for the rest of the game because either Tori is safe, in which case Lindsay can't be safe because there isn't a second, uh, scroll in there or Tori is not safe. And then she doesn't have to be because Tori's going home because we've already told everybody that's how it's happened. So because of all of that, like Lindsay has no shot at safety. She only has the shot of Tori. Whereas in a traditional one, Tori would go grab a scroll and Lindsay would go grab the scroll and we don't know which one is safe. But in this scenario, it was like do or die. It's either Tori or you. And like it, because of all of their complicated – and again, having to just, okay, uh, we're playing the idols. And thus, we can't vote for you. Not That's not the way supposed to, idols are supposed to work, right? It's supposed to be like we'll vote and then we'll find exactly. out. Could have blown so, those votes on the people who played their idols. Exactly, yeah. They, you know, I don't – if we come to the decision for like the, the most unimportant aspect of this, our fantasy game, for me, uh, nobody got a point for playing their idols correctly because the idols were played incorrectly by the show, you know? Uh, because they canceled out no votes. Instead, they they worked like Gary Hawkins' idols suddenly. Uh, so, yeah, like I understand the, the the desire to do it that way. I think it was the right emotional read. But if you had to do it over, I think maybe the right emotional read is, all right, cut cameras. Let's just take a bit, you know? It's still in the rain. <laughs> but, like, it, it doesn't have to be, okay, well, let's go vote. Like, you can take a break, man. Like, you, know, you don't have to everything be footage. Um, because I think because of the, the complications that they add to the show itself, it just can't be done that way anymore. Yeah. Sorry, that was a lot of talk, but I feel like you weren't excited to talk about the mechanics. Well, I mean, partly because I have not read the exit interviews on how the shot in the dark was going to go. Um but I mean, I was roughly in that mindset that if if um, Tori, I'm sorry, had gotten the shot in the dark correctly, then then there would be no sense in Lindsay trying to do it because I similarly operated under the idea that like there shouldn't be more than one in there. But I guess in theory there could have been. I don't know. I yeah, like if they still did the two and twelve, but yeah, so that part I don't know at all. Um, hopefully, somebody will ask Lindsay of that at the end of the game, or people that were at that tribal council. I suppose they could ask Tori. I didn't read any of her <laughs> interviews, <laughs> but um, 
I don't know where I was going. Oh, and the, I, I would say this is, I guess, maybe why it's not a die that like one side says safe. Because in that scenario, theoretically, like yeah, you know, multiples of multiples people could end up being safe. They could all roll sixes or whatever. Then, like why? But then why? But for me, it's like that'd be fucking cool. Also, like why don't we just do that, right? Why have the die then? What is even? The I know. Point? Just make it a coin. Exactly. Make it something. Put, this is my necklace. This put a little is, trinket yeah. in the socket. Like, what is the die for then? It just it doesn't make sense. Just call it a cube. Yeah. It's just a cube that you're putting in a little... For me, yeah, it all has to be like, yeah, okay, one in six, just like a die. We got it. Yeah, 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 perfect. And then, like, at the last second, somebody spoke up. And it's either that, so what happens if three people roll sixes? And then we go, oh, Uh-oh. shit. Or, of course, my initial idea, we can totally hear people rolling yes. from down here. Like, they're not that far away. All right, so let's get into some fun stuff here. Let's Let's laugh at some people um (laughs) specifically jonathan's plan which was just a chef's kiss of a moment um because as i said he went and aggressively pitched this plan to multiple people right and he's got it all figured out he's like okay well it's we're gonna use marianne as the decoy i'm gonna tell her about that and it's gonna be about you know flushing an idol and he's telling this to the two people who have idols (laughs) idols <laughs> and so then at a certain point Lindsay is like hey here's a thought why didn't you just fucking say tori who doesn't have an idol and then the people with the idols would not be afraid that this is a plan that you're trying to take out one of them and he's like hmm let's let's explore that for a little bit because clearly this had never once occurred to him not even a no. little bit thank god Lindsay, because it's what i was shouting at the tv what tori that's what it is what are we talking so about here that it should have been her as the decoy vote like why even would you and i think part of it is just that like he thought he could tell marianne hey you're gonna be the decoy vote you can do this and she'd be like okay yeah great sure and of course, Marianne is like, no, <laughs> like, why the fuck? Why me? That doesn't make sense. And she- but because she's in a precarious position, her, her position, she's not in the big alliance. And even in the Taku four, she is four. Um, so she can't. And he is immune. Sure. Right. So the counter move against this asshole can't happen tonight. Um So she can't really speak to it, but she speaks to us. She sees it. And yeah, Lindsay instantly is like. But here's the thing about decoys. You're doing it to protect an idol. What do we do if the idol is played and just... Uh? Oh. Uh. Oh, it was, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was amazing. Um, So that was fantastic. Because, like, when they first says we're going to go after Drea, I was excited about that because, like, oh, yeah, no, something's happening. Because either it's going to be successful and somebody's going home with, like, four advantages. That's fun. Or, of course, you'll play her. And then we'll, like, we'll see what else happens, right? And, again, like, from a mastermind standpoint, which Jonathan most definitely <laughs> is not, um, like, I could even see it. Like, it's like, yeah. So the move here is I'm going to get rid of two idols, right? Or at least one, because I tell Marianne it has to be you. Drea insisted that it was you, so I can't move her off of that. But it's simple. If she plays her idol, you play yours. You're safe. And then when the revolt, we just get rid of Tori. Like, that would be smart. That's not what he did. That's not what he thought about at all. Yeah, clearly did not go through the various layers and iterations of the possible votes there, (laughs) which... 
Not surprising. I think the chart was, this is my idea. Or no, is this your idea, Jonathan? Yes, no. And then you go next part, yes. Then it is brilliant. You know, like that's, that's, that's yep, I think, that's the, the extent of it. Yeah, I have this idea and thus it is unfallible. Because even when he takes a minute to process what Lindsay says, he does no, not. He doesn't get there. Um, hey, speaking of people who don't necessarily formulate the greatest of plans, let's talk about some Roxroy. Because, oh, Roxroy. He's the bet, like the unintentional comedy show just continuing unabated. I love it. I just, I love the yeah. way he presented his amends alliance as though it was just this groundbreaking, like, oh, you guys, listen to me. Like, if we just all vote together, we could win this thing. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, uh huh. We've known that. Imagine you're an NBA coach and you go into a huddle and you're like, guys, listen to me. I just, I just had this thought. If we intentionally foul them, we can stop the clock. <laughs> no shit. We've known this for decades. Guys, 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 gather up. Three is more oh, than Oh, shit. Two. So if we take some threes, uh, ready, break. <laughs> no. It just, the way he presented it, as though it was like, you guys are never going to believe this, but I've got an idea, and it's going to keep us all safe, and it's awesome. <laughs> you ready for this? Bros, what if we all align? Because we're men, right? Right? And they're like, uh-huh, yeah. But like... I mean, for a couple of them, like, you're speaking my language, yeah. bro. And so... What makes the best, it perfect is the reaction of both high and then especially... And Obama. that's the thing. is like, the best is that, like, the utter lack of read. Where, like, he approaches these other guys who do not define themselves by their masculinity at all. And is like just assuming they would be 100% on board with a men's alliance. It was just high comedy. So good. Yeah. I mean, Roxroy's whole worldview is men are like this, women yes. are like that. And like, it should note, like, like, there's a secret scene uh, from this week that I actually encourage people to watch, um, which is not true of most secret scenes, where uh, Romeo is kind of coming out to the tribe and Roxroy is like one of the first people there to put his arm around him. So again, multitudes and layers. That's why these conversations deserve nuance, but he is still like, Oh, my nagging wife guy. Like I pointed that out weeks ago. Like this is who he is. And, uh, yes, we've had a lot of fun with Roxroy. This is when it's time for the Roxroy character to go. Yes. Like the, 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 the character that we have fun with due to, you know, their own inability to do things. You want them to go out because yes. of that, right? So it's perfect in that, that sense. You know, I know some people are like, oh, I'm going to be sad to see him go. It's like, no, this is how you want it to be. That he forms this revolutionary idea of an all dudes alliance. And like some of those dudes are like, no, no, that's not what I want to do. I'm not joining your you know, team misogyny. Oh, uh, no, I, it was I fantastic. Mean, like I was loving this episode was, until, you know, it became very, it special. was exactly the Chris Noble scenario, right? Where like, you don't want Chris Noble to go home. He's great. He's so entertaining. But if he has to go home, you want him to go home in the most Chris Noble way possible, right? Like just the dramatic overconfidence. I can't bail. I'm Chris the Noble. The coin flip will always come it's, right. Like, <laughs> I'll take 50-50 shots and I will win every time. Like, Yeah, you, you want to see him fail in the ways that were like entertaining for him getting there, right? Like, So this was the way that I wanted to see Roxroy go out was something like this. Yeah. And the chef's kiss is the you know, in tribal council. Like, Oh no, there was no, uh, strategizing typical men's stuff. You know how bro. bros are. We're just hanging around doing chores and talking. And the other guys are like, 
yeah, no, uh, the game was afoot. <laughs> you just were not noticing it because it did not fit into your Roxroyan worldview. Oh, so good. I mean, it reminds me of the, it's like almost the counter to those people that are like, nobody's strategizing because no one's strategizing with them. It's like the exact opposite. He's like, oh, nobody's strategizing because we don't need to. And everybody's like, oh, okay, well, actually, <laughs> we were all strategizing, just not with you. I liked Mike's hesitation to move against Roxroy. I thought that was really well thought out uh, in the discussion with High. And that if we do this now, what will that do to our alliance? And, uh, you know, we saw some repercussions from this vote immediately after. So he's on to something. However, while I don't know that it will happen, given, you know, what we see next time in Survivor, which is very vague and everybody's interpreting it every which way. And shout outs to the people that feel really confident that it could really, it's definitely this. No, it's anything, but that's fun. Um, is that you just go back to him and be like, Roxroy was trying to form an all men's alliance. And then Dre and I would be like, oh, okay, cool. That's fine. Like, it's, I, I think that would be an easy sell right. to the women exactly. over there. That's the thing is, that, you know, it, you wouldn't even have to lie in this scenario. You could just say like, Hey, just so you know, like this is what happened. And I wasn't cool with that. And if anything, that probably builds some trust, right? Cause you were like, Hey, yeah. this guy tried to turn on us and break up what we have, but I'm tight with you. Like that probably bolsters your alliance in some way. Hey, so uh, does the idea of an all male alliance offend you? I mean, no, but I also wasn't offended by the all black alliance last season. Like I expect, or an all women's right. alliance, right? Now, obviously, it is different, right? Due sure. to you know the dynamics in play, but yeah, like I, form the kind of alliance you want to form. I know some people just go, oh, men are forming alliances. It's like it's just doomed to failure as yes. all the other ones. Chill out, it's fine. And to people like, oh, these happen all the time. They don't actually i don't know if it's as revolutionary as roxroy but i want in comments for somebody to tell me the successful male alliance and by success it for here are my conditions one it had to like last for at least three votes and two it has to have more than three people in it with a small exception if it's like pre-merge in a small tribe maybe three is enough right i mean six people there's only going to be three guys but like people keep going the three amigos a couple two things one they failed miserably two three people isn't this overwhelming you know combination of gen- it's like two people and then they have a, they friend. a third wheel like, in there the, yeah yeah it's really not that complicated you know um you know example of like you know, misogyny keeping the people down and again must be noted failed miserably so i want to know because i you know there's probably one that i'm not thinking about but in general i don't think there's been men's alliances for the same reason there hasn't been a lot of successful women's alliances in that it's a bad idea it's a bad idea to form your alliances based on these things you know feel free if you want to but this is the reason why you form an alliance and this is the only reason these people will help you right win. That's what you're looking for in alliance. What is the combination of people that will help me win? And often it's not that they you share a, a trait that would go on a census. Right. And I mean, it really, as you said, I expect almost all of these to fail, right? But as I said with the alliance last season. Within 42 minutes, this one fell apart. Right. This didn't take long. A lot less time than most, to be honest. But really, like I said last season, yes, make that alliance. It's not going to last very long, but it doesn't have to. The point is that you just need to keep yourself safe, right? Like that can eventually shift to something else, but it will have served its purpose. So it's fine. 
And in the same way, yeah. like if I'm a man on Survivor, previously established, never going to happen. Um, and that's like the same reason why, like me uh, having a date with Beyonce, is never going to happen. Um, yeah, if somebody comes to me and wants a men's alliance. I'm like, cool, because I'm a man, so that tells me you're not coming <laughs> for me. But you know, am I going to be beholden to that? No, because my you know, uh, again. Why I form alliances are what's going to help me win. So much like Omar himself, I'll be like, I don't know if this benefits me long term to be like going to the end with a bunch of people that, you know, could win the challenge that I might need to win. Um, yeah, really, the thing is, you accept that alliance just because the thing you gain is the concept of people not voting for you. That's that's it. That's all you do is just say like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. Like, that's it. Just make it so that there's not going to be a target on you. Yep, I'm down with that alliance, and then move on. You have really very little loyalty to it. If it works towards your interests, sure, stick with it. But then, as soon as it doesn't benefit you, bye, bail on that thing. And if that means like the very next conversation you have with somebody yes. else, that's cool too. Right. If it was five minutes later, sure. Uh, last week on the podcast, uh, you and Matt uh, expressed some misgivings about um, the more aggressive way that Omar is kind of playing behind the scenes and trying to make moves. Um, how do you feel after this week? Because again, he, he, he heard the idea of this and eschewed the easy Romeo vote, even going to high who had beef with Romeo, a uh, very public beef. Um, and yet he able to get his way. Like, what did you think? Yeah. Of his I, this week? And we didn't see enough of it. I'm sure there was a greater sales pitch than what we saw. Um, but Omar must have made, you know, something fairly substantive because High seems to be, <laughs> seemed at that moment, I should say, to be riding high on some emotion uh, related to Romeo. So he talked him into some, you know, logical, let's do this and got, got him on board. So clearly he's got some persuasive skills. Like he's got some sort of working relationship with a bunch of different people. Which both are wonderful things for his game. Um, I did my worry last week and probably still to some degree this week is it just feels like you're burning a lot of capital at a time when I don't know that you necessarily need to do that. Yeah. So I disagree completely. Like it, it could it backfire? Yes, of course. Everything can backfire. I admire the hell out of it. Not just from like a, that's more entertaining. So I think that was your takeaway. Um, no, man, do what you need to do. I would rather go out swinging than, you know, watching the pitch go by. And, yeah, I mean, it hasn't uh, been him yet. Like, it could be that we're watching the game of somebody who is, you know, the big player of the season and gets taken out for it. Okay. Or it could be that we're watching somebody who's super awesome at Survivor who wins it. Like, I feel like either possibilities in there. And at this moment, Omar is uh, the person I'm rooting for most. And, uh just within this conversation, I will say, like, yeah, I, he did the right work with High. But I do think, like, part of it is because he had the right read with High. That High also was uncomfortable with the way Roxroy was doing. So I don't think he had to twist High's arm too much. All he had to do was kind of, uh, um, you know, assuade him that, like, yeah, he can work with Romeo. It'll be okay. I also liked how Omar didn't push back too much on the fact that High needed to get, you know, Mike's approval on this. So it shows that, like... He's making moves, but it's still behind enough that people aren't seeing it. And uh, I'm excited to see if that pays off. So let's talk briefly then about his reaction to that Romeo vote. Because to me, that was a full Rupert 
who voted for me? Like, what a look. And I absolutely did not expect that from him. And uh, for, for me, I would say full credit to Romeo because that man had him had high pegged correctly. Like yes. he knew phrasing. Yeah. <laughs> um, he had a good read last week to know he was a target. Great read as well to realize that high was the type to lose it over a stray vote. Like something about high must have set off that alarm and Romeo got it again. Good read like Bravo. Cause I don't feel like that's the default reaction from someone catching a stray vote, but it certainly was highs. You know what? It kind of has been this season, weirdly, right? Like season 42, in a time when, you know, the extra vote doesn't matter anymore, like it did, say, with for when Lex was on his warpath. Uh, Mike had, like, this blood oath against Chanel for doing uh, to him exactly what she, he was doing to her. Um, yeah, that's kind of weird. It's a nice throwback there. It's not all rock story bringing the throwbacks, because it was definitely a bad look for High. I also kind of dig it, because it's like, you know, it would be easy to uh, assign high the game bot label that, for instance, Romeo has gotten and probably earned. Um, he's not quite that. Uh, he's a little messy, and I think it makes it more interesting. Agreed. And last but not least, let's talk about how that power alliance, that giant big tent alliance, somehow inexplicably failed so quickly. Did you see that coming? Uh, it was time, you know, like because they were going from 10 to 8 here. Yes. Um, and they know it. So it was the right opportunity. Uh, yeah, obviously not necessarily skillfully done on both sides. Um, but yeah, no, I like, I'm glad I wasn't podcasting last week because it was ho hum. But my reaction after last week is like, good. I'm glad they got through one more week of this. But it was time. And now, you know, it's time for the final phase of the game. And frankly, you know, uh, as the moves were uh, taking place here, uh, turns out there's a little more dead weight to get rid of that wasn't necessarily dead weight to begin with. Like, I think we've seen enough of Jonathan. Yep. Uh, yeah, again, if he still does some super awesome stuff and challenges, I'll be like, man, look at that happen. Uh, but I no longer worry about his you know, game acumen. Not that I was typically worried about it, but like legit didn't yep. know. And uh, people that are like, oh, he, you know, he was a dummy and I knew it. That's you stereotyping him. You didn't know it either. And because uh, he didn't have to do anything other than win challenges and say, all of us that are good at winning challenges, let's stick together. Um, today he stepped up to the plate and was uh, swinging. Also, I, the thing with losing Jonathan, like, yes, he is entertaining to watch in the challenges. There's probably like the, especially the immunity challenges are not going to be the types of things where Jonathan can be entertaining. Like if there's the tribe rewards, sure. He'll probably still be able to do Jonathan type things. Right. But like yeah. watching him stand on a triangle in the middle of the ocean for three minutes, like I sure he won, but was it that interesting? Nah, who cares? I'd say of that challenge, it was more interesting than it usually is due to the um, unnatural, uh, not unnatural, uh, 100% natural uh, dynamics of it. You know, typically it's not that interesting as people standing there, right? Um, this one, I, th- I actually did think it was interesting, not to him, like Lindsay and Hi, all of it. Like, uh, it's like they were on like uh, one of those uh, Bronco things. Uh, you'd think that I'd know from Yeah, where I was going to say, but, what, um, what's that called, Mr. Rodeo? Mechanical Bowl. There you go. Um, but yes, to your point, like for the most part, individual challenges at the stage of the game are much less interesting in part because what has been interesting about him and his performance is 
the distance, right? That you can see yeah. that, that he and his team are progressing further faster than the other teams. And that's not how individual challenges tend to work. Right. They tend to be hold this plate of uh, endurance. Yes. Uh, so yeah, no, good point that like, yeah, a team challenge might go that maybe that's what we want for next week. He does super awesome in a team challenge. One more improvement thing and then loses the immunity challenge. And now it's time for him to go. Uh, I don't know if it will be because the one thing is like for all of the talk of like the big power alliance, uh, Taku came in with four and still has four. wild. So I think for a lot of them, for Drea, for Roxroy, maybe High and Mike, this was you know a big alliance of equals. And for Taku, it was like Taku four, and you know it's four four now. And Romeo has proven to work with them, and now Drea might finally have use for him again uh, after being like, oh, yeah, I don't feel like I need to talk to you because you're not in my alliance anymore. <laughs> Didn't you get the memo? Um, maybe now she will, uh, and that could be interesting as well. Yep, and we will see next week. And, of course, if you want to discuss this episode or this podcast or any future episodes, you can, of course, do that at purplerockpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter. The show is at purplerockpod. I am at purplerockjohn. Andy is at Purple Rock Andy. We're so good at branding. Have to uh, hang a lantern on that every single time. It's a verbal tick. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> subscribe to us in all those places. Anything else, Andy? Play the theme music.